0: Good evening, and welcome to the first in a short teaching series on the topic of prayer. In Isaiah 59, there's a passage where the Lord looks over the whole earth, and he is sad and dismayed to see that there are no intercessors. There is nobody praying for the people and for their redemption from their sins. And I wonder if the Lord, which he is, is looking over the world today and thinking the same thing. That his people are not praying the way that he intended or desires for them to pray. In Luke 11, the disciples approach Jesus and they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so what I want to do tonight and over the next few weeks is to see what we can learn from Scripture about prayer, about what it is and why the disciples valued it so much that they asked Jesus to teach them specifically about that and what that means for us as a church today and why we should value prayer as much as they did. To start with, let's look at what prayer actually is. If you were to ask people, what is prayer? I think that very many of them would answer, it's a way of getting God to do things for you. They may not say that out loud, but it's definitely what many people think prayer is, and the way that many people treat prayer. A second answer that you might get, if you ask people, what is prayer, is you might get the answer, it's something that you do in an emergency. These are the people who carry on with their merry lives, doing their own thing, minding their own business, and quite happy for God to be minding his own business. Until something goes wrong, that is. They get sick, or their child gets sick, or their company downsizes, and then they know exactly who to call on. Thankfully for us, as believers, there is far more to prayer far more than treating God as if he's our cosmic errand boy, or as if he's just some heavenly life jacket. So, what is prayer? In Psalm 25, David describes prayer as lifting up our souls before the Lord. Rather than being a way to persuade God to do things for us, and to fix things for us, when we pray the way that scripture describes it, we actually put ourselves at God's disposal and we allow him to do what he wants to do in us and for us. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 15 records Hannah praying and it describes her prayer as pouring out her heart to the Lord. And in response to her pouring out her heart, we see that God replies to her through Eli the prophet. In a book called The Kneeling Christian, it describes prayer as communion with God, talking with him and not only to him. Just like in the natural world, the best way to get to know somebody is to spend time with them and to talk to them and let them talk to you about themselves it's the same in our prayer lives. The greatest result that we can gain from our prayers is getting to know God better. In John 17 verse 3, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, and this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God. He's saying that the key to life The key to joy and strength and the hope that we so long for, the things that he came to the earth to give us, lies in truly knowing who God the Father and who Jesus Christ the Son are. And the only way that we can truly get to know them is by spending time with them in their presence, hearing their voices and allowing them to speak to us. Just as the more time we spend with a person in the natural world and we enjoy their company, we want to spend more time with them and get to know them better. I believe that the same is true of our prayer lives. The more we pray, the more we hear God's voice, the more we learn about his character and his beauty, the more we will want to spend time in prayer. Prayer unlocks the thirst inside our souls for more. Of the Father. The second question that we could ask about prayer is, should we pray? Is it something that followers of Christ are expected to do? In Matthew 6, when Jesus is again teaching the disciples about prayer, the answer to the question, should we pray, is assumed. Jesus starts every paragraph of his teaching with the words, and when you pray. In other words, he assumes and expects that prayer is something that his followers will do. Throughout Scripture, you will find invitations and instructions to pray and to commune with God. I'll share just a few of them with you. First, Thessalonians 5, verse 17, urges us to pray without ceasing. In Acts 12, verse 5, we see that the church prayed for Peter without ceasing. Act 2 verse 42 describes the believers as being devoted to prayer. Psalm 145 verse 18 says that the Lord is close to all who call on him. And in case we needed any further convincing throughout the Gospels, we see how important prayer was to Jesus. For example in Mark chapter 1 verse 35 we read that Jesus got up early in the morning to spend time in prayer and one of the last things that he does for his followers and for all of us before he goes to the cross is he prays to the Father for us. The next question that I want to take a look at is how do we pray? Here I'm not going to be talking about the specifics of an actual prayer, although I will be touching on that next week. But what I mean here is what should the heart and the attitude and the motivation for our prayers be? Because that will inform much of how we pray. Firstly, in Hebrews 4, chapter 16, we are encouraged to keep on coming boldly to the throne of grace so that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love this verse because to me, it perfectly captures the balance that we need to have not only in our prayer lives, but I believe in all of our lives as children of God. And the balance is this. On the one side, we can approach the Father boldly with free and fearless confidence. Through Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross, we are given free and direct access to the throne room of Father God. And Father God grants us complete and unfettered access into his presence because he sees us through his son's righteousness. So Charles Spurgeon says, we do not come in prayer only seeking God's arms dispensed to the poor, nor do we come to the back door of the house of mercy to receive broken scraps. To eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table is more than we could claim. But when we pray, we are standing in the palace on the glittering floor of the king's own reception room, and thus we are placed on a vantage ground. And shall we come there with a narrow and contracted faith? Nay, it becomes not a king to be giving away pence and groats. He distributes pieces of broad gold. He makes a feast of fat things, full of marrow, of wines on the lees, well refined. Wow! We really can approach the Father in full confidence, knowing that we are loved and accepted and knowing that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than what we ask him or even think of asking him. But to balance this on the other side, something which I fear that many believers in the modern church are missing is that we need to remember that we are approaching a throne. We should never forget that our Father in heaven is also our King. He is worthy of all honor, all respect, all reverence. He is sovereign over the entire universe, and he has all power and all authority. To quote Spurgeon again, My heart, be sure that thou prostrate thyself in such a presence, For he is the most powerful of all kings. His throne hath sway in all worlds. Heaven obeys him cheerfully, and hell trembles at his frown. Earth is constrained to yield him homage. So, the first heart attitude I believe we should have in prayer is the freedom to approach the Father joyfully and confidently, but never flippantly or proudly. Moses showed us the right way to express this attitude, I believe. Moses is called a friend of God, and yet when he came near the presence of God, he had to take off his shoes and hide his face from the fullness of God's glory. The second attitude that I believe we ought to have in our prayers is the attitude that wove like a golden thread through every word that Jesus spoke and every act that he performed while he was ministering to to his people on earth. Jesus came to earth from heaven. He was the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah. And yet he says over and over again, I do not seek my own glory. If you see me, you're seeing my Father. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. It's so easy for our prayers to become a jumbled assortment of requests and requirements and complaints. And sure, we are allowed to pray for those things. But if that's all we do, we completely forget to focus on or even recognize what really matters. We can be so focused on what God can do and should do and what he promised to do, that we fail to bring him the glory due to him for who he is. Giving God glory is seeing him in his rightful place in our lives. Giving God glory is worshipping him as the High King of heaven and bringing him our praise and our adoration. I wonder. If all of us can say that that is a mark of our prayers. If we have this heart attitude to prayer, then when we do bring our requests to the throne, we'll bring them in a manner that is worthy of the King. We won't say, please give me XYZ, but we'll say, Father, you know that I need XYZ in your perfect timing I trust that you will provide them for me. If we come with an attitude of wanting to glorify the Father through our prayer, we won't pray, Lord, please bless me as I do ABC, but rather we'll pray, Lord, I'm doing ABC today. Won't you please guide me so that the way that I do it brings honor to you and shows your glory to others? Then there's a third heart heart attitude that I believe we need to have in our prayer lives. Something that should underpin every prayer. And that is an attitude of thanksgiving. Philippians 4 verse 6 tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Again, I see one of those balances that we need to get right when we pray. Bring the Lord your requests for new blessings, but be sure to thank him for the blessings that we have already received. One of the saddest stories in the New Testament for me is the passage of in Luke 17, where Jesus heals the 10 lepers. Reading from verse 15, we see this. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? It can be easy to read the Bible simply as a text without much drama or expression, but when I read those last two verses, I can't help but feel the emotion that Jesus must have had in his voice. I think about how much time we spend training our young children to be thankful. We give them a Mari biscuit, and as we pass it to them, we say, Say thank you. They're offered a cup of water, and as they take it, we say, Say thank you. And we'll repeat this for years until they start saying it automatically. I think about how specific and detailed we can be in our prayer requests. Lord, I need this and I would like it to look like this. And if I could please have it by this time, that would be really super. And yet in our thankfulness to the Lord, we can be very indefinite. In general and say thank you for all the blessings Lord. Again it's a balance that I think we often get wrong. Don't think that God isn't pained or saddened by our thank- thanklessness. I read a quote somewhere that said nothing so pleases God as our praises and nothing so blesses the man who prays as the praises he offers. The fourth and final heart attitude of our prayers that I want to talk about tonight is what Jesus tells us about prayer in John fourteen. In verses thirteen and fourteen he tells us, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. These verses explain why most times when you hear someone pray, they end their prayer with the words, In Jesus' name, Amen. Unfortunately, the words, In Jesus' name, aren't a magic spell. Tagging them onto the end of any prayer doesn't automatically convince God to grant your wish list. And, although I'm not saying, don't say it at the end of your prayers, The fact that you may not say it or forget to add it on to the end of a prayer doesn't automatically mean that your prayer is invalid. Asking for something in Jesus' name means asking the Father for something as if you were Jesus asking. Do you see how that is about your heart attitude and not about the words that you use to pray? And you also see how all of these prayer attitudes or heart attitudes line up with each other. Praying in Jesus' name means two things to me. Firstly, Scripture refers to the believers as Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is an official representative of one government sent to another country with authority to speak on behalf of the leaders of his home nation. So being an ambassador is a huge responsibility. Everywhere he goes, he is seen as his home country. If his behavior is excellent, people will think well of his home nation. If he behaves poorly, that will be people's impression of his native land. So if I pray in Jesus' name, I'm declaring to the Father that my words, my desires, are in line with what Jesus would pray. Do you know what Jesus is famous for praying? Not my will, but yours be done. That's the heart attitude of praying in Jesus's name. The other side of praying in Jesus's name is found in 1 John 5 verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. There's that word confidence again. Have you ever gone to the till at a shop and handed over your bank card to the cashier and then held your breath while she swipes it because you're not sure if you actually have enough money in your account to cover the cost of the bill? Well, that's what it would be like if we prayed to the Father in our own name. We saw in Hebrews that in ourselves, we have no right to enter the throne room of the King. Based on our own efforts, or because of our own goodness, or our own holiness, we don't have access to the Father. But if we go back to the bank account allegory, the confidence we have isn't in the bank card, but in the person who signed it. You see, as a believer, if you turn over your prayer bank card, you don't see your signature on the back. You see Christ's signature. When we understand that we approach God on Christ's merit, it will change the way that we pray and it will change the things that we pray for, because We don't want to dishonour the account holder who has given us the freedom to use his bank account. Sure, we've covered quite a lot tonight. I hope that some of it has been useful to you or encouraging to you. And if it has, I hope that you'll join us again next Wednesday as I look at a few more factors or facets Of prayer, more of the how and what and when about prayer. To end off tonight, I'd like to read one of David's Psalms to us. David wrote Psalm 57 when he was on the run from Saul and forced to hide in a cave. As I read it, See if you can identify any of the prayer characteristics and heart attitudes that I've spoken about tonight in David's words. Psalm 57 Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love. Reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. I pray for us all in Jesus' name that we will have a growing desire to spend time with the Lord in prayer this week and that we will be a people that honors the Father through our prayers. Amen. Have a super week and we'll see you all back here online on Sunday morning at 9am for our worship service. Have a fantastic week and God bless.